We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action, and with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong, so whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 182, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the SC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas. Today, we are asking some big questions after Barcelona lost El Clasico. But before we get to that, we should ask the most important question of all. How you doing, Frances? <laughs> is that really the most important question? It is to me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's when people switch off and just go to another podcast instead. Um, hola, Gules. Uh, how am I doing? Uh, disappointed. Disappointed. Clearly, you know, there's not enough. There are not enough tools in our squad uh, to to aspire to do much more than what we saw yesterday, unfortunately. Um, when it comes to a big match, uh, it looks like the players want to do well. It looks like the manager sort of has the right idea, but the, the, they just don't seem to have enough strength in terms of physical strength and mental. I'm not quite sure at this point which one is the most important because both of them are both of them are lacking, to be honest. Yeah, we're going to talk about all of that. Uh, and before we even get started, too, I just want to mention, you might hear my voice is a little more nasally than normal. I, I am usually sounding quite nasally, but uh, I have a bit of a head cold. It, it had nothing to do with, cor- maybe it correlated with El Clasico, because as Barca continued to get tired, continued to get worse in that match, as did I, feeling-wise, and I have yet to recover. And as the team has their recovery day as well, we're going to try to break this all down. So we have the help in the listener group from La Ronda, so let's get right into that. Mila asks, is Seti and lacking the courage to make more risky decisions? And Dirk asked, but a big question from this game will be whether Seti was outcoached by Zidane today. That's a good question. Um, I don't think so. I think that it's just that the tools at his disposal, they're just not giving any more. I mean, 
Um, you could argue that Fatih could have started the game, but then again, this is the biggest game in world football, and you've got a 17-year-old starting it. So, you know, going for set for Vidal, uh, the player that, you know, added strength to the midfield, arguably the, the attacking line as well, depending on how you look at it. Um, in midweek, um, the result wasn't amazing, but it was a draw away from home that gave Barca all the chances to qualify for the next Champions League round at home. So I do understand why Setien stuck by, by pretty much the same players. It wasn't necessarily the same formation, though. He went with four midfielders this time. And if the first 50 minutes had anything to go by, they, Barca had much more control. Uh, the first 50 minutes were actually pretty good. Um, I know that people make him for saying this, but they, they went terrible. The, the, the whole point was that Madrid outplayed us after that. Um, you could argue that Setien knows there isn't much more to take out of the squad at this moment in time. Um, obviously, we have criticised Valverde enormously over the years, and particularly this season. But um, it looks like Valverde sort of knew that there wasn't there wasn't much more to take out, and uh, he was doing his best to to, to minimise that. Obviously, by making Barca play in a horrendous way, uh, which they didn't do in the first 50 minutes yesterday. But then they ran out of legs, to be honest. Um, some chances were generated. Uh, Barca weren't able to finish them as they normally are. Um, they were organised, but you know it was sort of sterile possession. There wasn't much depth. There wasn't much incisiveness, and the very few chances. I think I can remember two or three that were created that were sort of decent. The players just have put them away. And in football, especially at the highest level, if you can't score at the other end, you're likely going to suffer on your own. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think it, for me. With Kike Setien, it's a lot like wringing out a wet t-shirt because even if you get all the water out of it and you've tightened it as much as you possibly can, it's still going to be a damp t-shirt. And at the moment, that's kind of where Barca is. It doesn't look new. It doesn't look dried off. It just looks like Kike Setien is trying to take as much as he possibly can every single drop out of this squad. And what he is left with is, is what you see. Yeah, I think that it was decided that this game was too big for Ansu Fati, which is interesting because it's not just Fati. This game, we would have said, as you looked at the bench, was too big for Neto. It was too big for Junior Firpo. And as much as we had spoken about and praised the club at the start of the season about how I thought it was the deepest squad, it, it is quite interesting if I go back and listen to myself from the start of this year when I did believe this was the deepest squad that we had seen in three or four seasons now. And yet now we look at this moment in the year and injuries to Luis Suarez and Usmane Dembele, and then just huge issues in the transfer with transfers and, again, not empowering players. I think that's the one thing that Kike Setien can't really change. And not that I put the onus on Messi, but we have spoken about Messi dependencia in the past and how players seem to be looking for Messi and passing to only Messi, and we'll get that. We have questions on that coming up. Uh, but all that said, yeah, I, I think that there is something about the players that have come in and I think this has to do with behind the scenes. Surely it's the coaching staff. Surely it's their teammates. But I think it's just, it, it could even fall somewhat on the fan base or the people around them that I don't think, not that the players aren't playing with confidence, but I don't think there are certain players for Barcelona that are empowered to be in successful situations. So you have a guy like Braithwaite who came in seemingly unafraid of El Clasico but in the same regard, would you have started Braithwaite in this one? No, it's a little bit too quick to throw him right into the fire and uh, in El Clasico having just arrived. The same thing with Fati looked like in the final 10 minutes, like the game, they were chasing the game, sure, but just physically, that game was already beyond what he, a 17-year-old was just going to jump 
and kind of wade into a pool for. He was pushed off the ball and stepped off the ball. And I, I think if I don't think calls were going to go the way that was going to help Fati succeed in that match. And I think it comes just down to is Kike Setien lacking courage? I mean, I don't know because I don't think there's much that he could do. I mean, he could have inserted Braithwaite and Fati into the match earlier. But all that said, I, I think that once that goal was scored, you saw the body language. You saw that Barca did look like the ones who were tired. And we have a question from Pancho about that. Why did our form change drastically from the second half? Was it the waste of possession, not shooting in the final third, third or just plain old bad luck? And it's funny because we have so many questions that kind of overlap and intertwine with each other. And for this one, it, you know, it's funny because it's hard to make tired an excuse because Real Madrid starting 11 has played more minutes this season than Barca starting 11. However, Messi clearly has an injury. And the rest of this squad be it PK, who was rushed back from an ankle injury, who was one of Barca's best players, and Jordi Alba, who was just rushed back from injury, was un- completely unable and should not have been going 90 minutes in that match. But unfortunately, Junior Firpo has been completely neutered of any confidence and has not just been good enough, so you can't replace Alba in that match. And Artur, who we're going to talk about in a bit, he has not had the ability to play more than 60 minutes. He, he put in a good 45 to 50 minute shift. And that's not consistently, but in his, uh, in his whole match, he did about 60 minutes. And if you're going to be in the midfield, there are going to be moments when Real Madrid are going to overrun that midfield. And it's just so happened that it happened when Artur started to slow down. So you have select players on Barca's lineup, again, dealing with injuries and then guys who can't go full 90. So even though they played less minutes this season than Real Madrid starting 11, certainly tired and certainly just running out of gas. And once they conceded, as I said, you saw that whatever was physical also became mental. Exactly. And you got to say that Madrid, Sergio Ramos said after the game that the, the game plan was fairly easy. It was allowing Barca to have the possession in the first half and then when they were getting, trying not to get too tired during that time, and then when Barca were getting sort of knocking against the wall and, and not getting anywhere, they would counter and, and basically overcome the game. And, and obviously they were much better than, than us. Um, the, the key story here is that Barca were better than Madrid during the first half, and Madrid was so much better than Barca, far superior, um, given their strength. And obviously, they were playing at home as well, so that also helps. And the, the winning mentality. Um, the, the, the doubt here is whether Barca can be any better than this with the with the tools that we've got, and whether this actually does have a solution. I mean, Setien has got Barca playing better than Valverde did, um, closer to what we want Barca to be. But I don't think he's got he's got enough ingredients to make the right omelette, you know, and Messi, for example, he cannot really be Barca's savior every single time for a period of 15 years. You know, the guy, as you mentioned, I don't know if he's clearly injured, but he's certainly not 100%. They did show him coming off the bus basically limping. And that might have been our eyes making that up. But he's even said himself that he doesn't feel like the Champions League is doable this year. And I think that has to do with him knowing about his own injury. Yeah, but we don't really know if that was put for show. We don't really know if that's playing mind games with all of us. And if Barca wanted the world to see that Messi was fully fit, they wouldn't have put that clip. So yeah. um, is, yeah. is, whether, is whether it's a conscious decision, I don't think it's a slip-up. Nothing in social media, especially coming from the Barca. Because, you know, we never really spoken about this, but the social media guy at Barca, running the Barca accounts, he's a, he's a wizard, you know. He's really funny and he's really trolly at times where he needs to be. And, you know, I don't think he's stupid. So that was cleverly picked so that we're talking about this uh, to to highlight something that's there and not going through the surface or just to make something that people didn't know come to the surface. In either way, 
um, Messi didn't have a good game. In fact, it was a bad game. Uh, we can d- definitely say that. But it was a decent game by pretty much anyone else's standard. It's just this is this is Leo Messi that's been saving us for 15 years, and he's tired mentally and physically. Uh, he probably has a knock, and you know the, the thing with yesterday is that he didn't really have to do everything by himself. There was a couple of occasions in which he was freed up, you know, and then he just didn't succeed in front of goal. And you know he's not going to put every single shot in the whole of his career away. Um, even though sometimes it feels like he does. But, you know, we need to know that Messi is also human. And the day that Messi is like any one of us playing football, well, much better, but, you know, I mean, like an average human being professional player, uh, without that extra gear for Messi, it's doubtful whether Barca can actually go the whole way in either competition. But, you know, I don't want to be too pessimistic, but based on the game yesterday, um, the doubts against... Barca's ability to win big matches still still remain unanswered. Yeah, and it's so interesting because El Clasico is always the slimmest of margins, and it was a little bit of luck. I think we should mention that and give Barca a little bit of an out on those things, where if Messi winds up finishing, if Griezmann winds up finishing in the first half, Griezmann was just like Messi, neither were particularly good at all. And if Artur winds up when he was out on the break and freed up as well, and a terrific run behind the defense by him, if he winds up finishing, unfortunately, he doesn't really have a left foot to shoot with. He went back on his right, and either Courtois had done his homework or just got in the right position. But if Artur or Griezmann or Messi finishes and they score first, that El Clasico certainly had the feeling that whoever scored first was going to get the victory at the end of the day. And because Real Madrid were able to break through first, that's the difference. And then the way they broke through... Vinicius Jr., he is one of the most hated players, it seems like, by Kool-Aid's. And even his own fans were booing him in the first half. And before he scored, he was being booed at the Santiago Bernabeu, that being Vinicius Jr. But the goal he gets to go in winds up, it was one that Tersein, I think, had covered. And then it just takes the wrong deflection off PK. And it's the slimmest of margins. And that gives Real Madrid not only the benefit of the goal, but it gives them the narrative. And then Barca did yep. kind of Can I off. say on, on that, yeah. Dan, um, it's a very good point with Vinicius. He goes and goes again and then tries it again. And then he fails and, you know, he cannot finish. He's like the Madrid's Dembele, but he doesn't get injured as often. And he seems to be much more resilient and determined. The first goal he created, you know, he may have missed... 15, 20 dribbles in the first half. I don't have the numbers, obviously. But it felt like he was, you know, things weren't going his way. But one thing that the guy does is just he doesn't put his head down. He doesn't look for excuses. He doesn't look for the reference player in his team, e.g. Messi in Barca, if you know what I mean. He doesn't um, look for outlets. And he's going and going and going. And he's relentless. And that's what we don't have. Obviously, Dembele is injured. But I think even Dembele at the full of his peak is not as resilient, persevering and ultimately effective as Vinicius was yesterday. Well, yeah, I want to take that even one step further. With Isco, the two shots that Real Madrid did have came from Isco in that first half, and then the one in the second when PK saved it off the line. Ter Sagan also had a little bit of piece of that. But yeah, the two then saves that Ter Sagan had on Isco, who's occupying Isco's spot for Barcelona in that contest? It was Frankie de Jong, basically operating the same space. The heat maps look very, very similar, but you're right, Isco, for all his ups and downs at Real Madrid, for all the times that he's been frozen out, even under Zidane, he seems to have a green light. And Frankie de Jong has admitted that he, he's trying to get himself, he's trying to flip the switch to score, but he's just always looking to pass around the penalty box. And, and when de Jong, I think, now that he's a member of Barca, 
And I think when he played in Champions League, people asked, and we have questions on Jorge and Mel about De Jong. Was it too big of a game for De Jong? And should De Jong actually be playing defensive midfielder? But I think whether he's playing defensive midfielder or center midfielder, we asked, why didn't De Jong play like he did against Ajax last season? And I watched mm-hmm. him a ton at Ajax, and I watched him in the Champions League last year. And the difference was, even though he didn't, he wasn't trying to score last year, I think last year he happened to be an unknown commodity. And as much as all of these clubs have managers upon managers and all these technicians to do all of this homework about other teams, I think De Jong being an unknown commodity, it wasn't really in the opponent and particularly Real Madrid. I think they overlooked him a bit as a player last year and they weren't prepared for his pass, pass, pass. They actually were looking a little bit last year at the Bernabeu for him to shoot. And this year in the Liga, because he plays for Barcelona, I, I think that the rap on De Jong is written. We know the tale of the tape for him, and it's that he's not going to shoot. And these are his, or the areas that he creates havoc in his problem areas are ones that the opponents are just shutting down. And De Jong, again, yeah, maybe he is more comfortable in the defensive midfielder role, but even going forward, which he has done for Ajax in the past, in, in previous seasons, this year he just seems out of sorts. And maybe it was that he was too nervous. We mentioned this is, we, we do say that Barcelona is the, the club of many of these players' dreams, but for De Jong, that is more true, I think, than most of the players that come into Barcelona as a transfer, that this really is the club of his dreams. And there might be a little bit of nerves there. There might be a little bit of, hey, I'm expected to be a big player in El Clasico. This is my moment. And sometimes that, that makes it difficult to seize the moment. So I think for De Jong, things are not physical, unlike a lot of his teammates. I think things are completely mental. And until he can flip that switch and kind of do an Isco impression if he's going to play in a more forward role and take a few shots and just open up his game. Uh, opponents know the, the and understand what he's trying to do with the ball. Yeah, so I think De Jong is just stuck in the middle of ways, and I don't think the issues that are ailing De Jong are, that are going to be fixed by the end of this season. No, 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 totally agree. Um, I think that this Clásico was lost in midfield. The first 15 minutes where Barca sort of, not, not consistently, but generally had the upper hand just disappeared because the midfield, again, disappeared. They were nowhere to be seen. I think Busquets had a decent start, yet alone after the the half time, then he just started declining like everyone else did. Um, Arthur, as you mentioned before, is not fit for a whole game and should have come off after 50, 55 minutes because he was clearly way too tired. Well, Princess, um, Rick, Rick asked, what did you think of Arthur's performance now you brought him up? He was good when he was fit. Basically, um, I think that he's got a, a low center of gravity. I think that especially this season and the last month, two months, um, he's been much stronger than he was when he joined us. Um, so when he's got control of the ball, he can normally select the right pass. And uh, when he's under pressure, he's beginning to turn around himself and to sort of move his body around in a way that he protects the ball. So I think that when he had the upper hand physically, he was he was good and playing with good criteria and being able to understand the system and associate well. But obviously, then it was him, but it was pretty much the whole team. Just just put their heads down, and, and mentally they they blocked off. Um, as you mentioned, the young, again, very poor. He was hidden half the time, and he's just not taking the risks that we supposed that um, the great youngster from Ajax was going to take. Um, overall, poor handling of the ball from, from our team. Um, too many mistakes that were enforced. Uh, the confidence was knocked as a result, and basically not being able to overcome and control the game um, when it mattered the most. I mean, we could have taken the chances in the first 50 minutes, we didn't, but then that's not a reason to disappear in the way we did in the Bernabeu, which 
reminding me of the way we disappeared in Liverpool and Roma, etc. So um, I think that, you know, we can talk about Setien and, you know, and Valverde all day long, but I think that the players clearly have got um, more of a part to play in the in these debacles that are happening in the second half of, of important games. Yeah, for me, Arthur, it was interesting because the best and worst is we talked about how important midfield was in this match. Casemiro and Cruz and Fede Valverde eventually did overrun Barcelona. But in that first half, as you mentioned, Busquets was good. De Jong was, he wasn't terrible in the first half. But Arthur, for me, the best and worst of Barca came out of the Brazilians' legs. That not only when he had his legs, but there were select moments in those games, though, that you could tell that he, I don't know if it's mental or physical with him either. It, it, that's the question for me, because even in that first half, there was a turnover. I don't remember the exact minute, but there was a turnover where Alba had the ball on the left wing, and he was calling for both Busquets and Artur to come closer to him, and he was re- ready to play that ball, and he couldn't. And that was the one time, I think, in that first half when Real Madrid felt comfortable to press, and they did, and they came at Alba hard, he goes back to Piquet, who goes back to Ter Stegen, and then Ter Stegen winds up lofting a ball just about 30 yards right in the middle of the field for Vidal. Vidal loses the 50-50 ball, as Barcelona did lose two-thirds of the uh, aerial duels, but Vidal winds up losing that 50-50 ball, and as it's coming back, it winds up being a goal kick after all is said and done, but then Piquet and Umtiti are now having words with Ter Stegen, but Ter Stegen is saying, that broke down earlier. That broke down three passes before, and we need to make sure that we're we're getting to those spaces. And I think with Artur, he has a habit, unfortunately, even in the first half, of leaving his teammates, particularly the fullbacks, on islands. And so I think this is a transition. We didn't have any questions about Nelson Semedo, but I think it also should be said that he was poor the last two games against Abar. He wasn't great. And then against Napoli, he was, uh, for the result that was garnered, he was not one of the best players on the field uh, by a long shot. But all that said, Nelson Semedo, for the first 20 minutes of this game, was the best player for Barcelona. It's hard to argue that. Not the whole game, but the first 20 minutes, again, Ter Stegen was huge in this match. Pique had a good match. Arthur was bright at times. Busquets was bright in the first half. Those are the compliments I think I can pretty much dole out for FC Barcelona players. But I think Nelson Semedo is the only player other than, I guess, Ter Stegen, you could argue that his two goals that he gave up, even though they were deflected, came at his near post. So if near post goals or something that you want to critique, then Ter Stegen goes on your list of not so great either. I, again, tend to say that he had the near post prepared, but the deflections kind of got it through that that small window. And I also think he was in the right position. So I don't get on Semedo. I thought, again, he was tremendous. He got forward in the first half. And then his defensive ailing, though, in the second half, that's where the issues were, where his defense kind of switched off a bit. But that was happening with the whole team. Yeah, um, and also on that goal, I think Piquet has to cover the post. You know, he was expecting Vinicius to cross it like he had done several times. And as we just mentioned before, most of the time he was doing it wrong. So he just didn't cover the very easy sort of short shot that was to be expected. And the goalkeeper was not not doing it either. But I think that on that occasion, it's it's Piquet's blame for not covering the easy shot on the shorter post, I think it's 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 common sense. Is when you start playing football at you know five years old and you're a defender, which I was at the time um, when I was five, and then developing, I became a fullback um, when we started playing football eleven. But clearly, you just cover the the short post. It's it's just it's common sense. It's taught in schools. Yeah, yeah. Then I guess to go back to the point about Nelson Smith, I'll ask you about him. That yeah, I mean inconsistency is the issue. He's just not good enough from game to game to game to match to match to match. He's been better this year than his other previous seasons for FC Barcelona. But in this kind of match, he did. He controlled. 
Vinicius Jr. And he made people wonder why Marcelo was on the field instead of Ferlin Mendy. And yep. one of the questions that I do ask is that that rotation between Mendy and Marcelo, as Marcelo takes a step back, I think when it comes to the likes of Alba and even the, the likes, maybe not a Sergio Roberto, he's still rather young, but uh, when when PK had competition in the likes of Tadebo and even competition with Umtiti and Langley, even though they're both left-footed center backs, it seems like Zidane has been braver. And this goes back to the Setien or any Barca manager. It's not even about Valverde or Setien. It's that Zidane, because he came back for the second time to manage Real Madrid, he does have a little bit of power in this relationship. He said, well, Real Madrid, you guys were struggling without me. Now I'm back. So I have some power in this say. He's not equal, obviously, to uh, Florentino Perez, but he does have a little bit of standing, a little bit of power, a little bit of leniency to make mistakes. And that's the one big difference, too. And this goes up all the way to the board, where no Barcelona manager will say since Tito Villanova, really? Because even Luis Enrique was on thin ice at a lot of times in his tenure, even though he won a treble. And so really since Tito Villanova, has any manager been empowered by the Barcelona board? There really has been this sense that if you fail at Barcelona for even a match or two, if you get one of these players wrong, you're going to destroy that player's career. The fans are going to turn on you. The board is going to turn on you and you're done. And so while Ferlin Mendy came over in the same way that Junior Firpo did, as I mentioned, there were parallels between why Barcelona wanted both of those players. Firpo has has been a player without confidence who hasn't been good enough. He's nowhere near to be seen to be an equal to Alba. And yet on the other side of things, Marcelo, who hasn't been great either, has been taking a step back and being rotated with Ferlamendi and has been accepting of that role a little bit better. So we were wondering why he was on the field. In the second half, you saw why Marcelo was on the field and how beneficial it's been to been resting him and to been rotating those two this year. And again, it goes back to the board. It goes back to poor squad planning. And it goes back to empowering these, these managers and these players that it's just there is no rotation. There's only one option or less than one option in any opportunity. You could argue that Arturo Vidal, again, he may not even should have started this match as Eli asked about making sense for starting Fatih or Braithwaite instead of Vidal. But yeah, I think there seems to be a complete structural issue with getting, and it's not about pushing out the older squad. It's about making a squad that is balanced and slowly slowly moving some of the older players out. And Luis Suarez even had comments about it today. He said, hey, I want to play every minute and I'm going to complain when you take me off the field. But Barcelona also needed to be doing their due diligence. They should have brought a nine in earlier. Yep, 100%. I mean, we, we speak about the board in every single episode of our podcast. And I think that it is fairly obvious that they haven't done the greatest of jobs, to put it mildly. And um, the, the, our squad has been declining for several years. Think about it. The Asian players now, they are the second generation of the great players. So let me let me explain that. So you got Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol. Um, they're gone. You know, they're no longer with us. But the thing is, when that generation um, had to, because of father time, had to be defeated and had to leave the club, you had the young Alba and Piquet and Busquets, etc., coming through. Um, holding the fort, but the thing is now there's a void after them. There's nobody, you know. There's Sergio Roberto, and and that's it, really. Um, Ansu Fati hasn't really arrived. I mean, he's 17, so we'll give him a pass card. But someone like Ricky Puch has been established, and there's no one else coming up from La Masia that can continue to carry that. So unless there is a structural change, you know, at board level, so you know, basically unless Bartomeu is replaced, I don't really see a major change happening next season. And then if nothing happens next season, then in two years' time, we're in the middle of a whole 
like we were in the early 2000s with Van Hal, etc., getting a million of people from from Holland to cover up the gaps that the La Masia wasn't wasn't producing at all. Um, I think that the Saucis have a chance of um, electing a new vote, a new board soon enough. Um, it seems to be that it's not the summer that is the next one, but you know, if everything goes pear shape or, or the current board makes sense of it all, or Victor Fon just throws a um, blue elephant, like it used to be called before, uh, when in the, you know, the La Porta years, that's a, a board of no confidence. Something has to happen for this to, to change the current inertia, the current um, way that it's going. Otherwise, this season is probably going to be wasted and next season will be the same. So something needs to happen at the highest level so that the club avoids going into darkness again. Yeah, that's a really good point about the generational thing that you brought up. Because as you were saying that, I was thinking, and there are parallels to, everyone knows I'm from the U.S., parallels to the United States men's national team here where there seems to be, just like with that team, this missing generation from the ages of around 27 to 28, 29 at the moment. And with the United States men's national team, it coincided with early on, they missed the Olympics and all these different things. And you see that there just really aren't any superstars or top level guys. So the U.S. men's national team is consisting of guys that are 30 or older or basically 22 and younger. And for FC Barcelona, La Masia, that's what it goes down to. People have been asking for years and years, oh, there's a problem with La Masia. But you can go through one player by and go down the list, right? What happened to Thiago Alcantara, who was supposed to be part of that missing middle generation? Well, he decided to go to Bayern Munich, also dealt with a bunch of injuries, but decided to go to Bayern Munich for playing time with Pep Guardiola. What happened to Mark Bartra? Well, he never got enough playing time because Pete Pizjard, PK, wasn't ready to step aside just yet. And Mark Bartra also did not get to the level of PK, so he didn't force him out. But what about Gerard Delefeu, who would have been one of those wings? Well, we saw that he struggled with his defensive abilities. And I mean, I, I think the thoughts go out to Delefeu after just a, a, an awful injury recently. But anyway, but on Delefeu, yeah, he just didn't have enough. He didn't seem to, even though he was one of the most prolific goal scorers in La Masia history, it just never seemed to fit in FC Barcelona in that first team. He was missing things as much as his goal scoring and left foot footed work had. And then, you know, later on in his career now, he started to pick those things up. Sergio Roberto is obviously part of that generation, but it wasn't supposed to just be Sergio Roberto being patient. It was supposed to be a whole generation of that kind of age, again, from like 25 to 29, that would come in and integrate themselves what about all the things we'd always heard about Sergi Samper whose injuries did destroy his career and derail his career so yeah it was a whole generation missed Frances as you mentioned that we'd had all of these different names and none of them really turned out uh even Rafinha and so Barcelona are left in this moment where you're right Fati is it's just too soon and I would even say that I don't know when this is going to end because as much as we talk about just that generation Ricky Puj who has had a few minutes for the first team sure but you're going to blink, and he, in August, turns 21. So you're going to blink, and he's now going to be 21 years old, and has yet to play first-team football. And just like Alenia, who is doing well at Real Batiste, so for all the, the negatives about sending guys out on loan and making them prove it somewhere else first, he's, Alenia has been really good on the Ruby at Real Betis, and he looks like he could come back and play a factor in ways that maybe some other guys who've gone out on loan recently have not. And again, for Puj... We're going to start to ask questions about his future, uh, Kayado, and it's just going to continue to cycle through. Ansu Fati really is one of the only ones under the age of 22 that has broken through La Masia in, we're talking because even Sergio Roberto did not break in until he was 24, 25. So Fati really is the first player since, is it Messi? Is Messi the last time that a player under the age of 22 broke into Barcelona's first team? 
I guess Artur counts too because he can't. Possibly, yeah. You can say Sergio Roberto's done it, but hasn't done it at the same level. So, yeah, quite possibly it was Messi. So, we have a conspiracy question from Gurdip. Uh, and he might, if for those in the listener group, know him as the Neymar Whisperer. Uh, he always has a comment about bringing Neymar back. He thinks <laughs> Neymar is the key. But Gurdy finally asked a question unaffiliated to Neymar, so I, I think I'll give you credit here. Do any of the players or coaching staff want to win with doubts over the Bartomeu story? So this is a conspiracy about how are the players, have they lost their luster as far as wanting to get results if the players are out on the board. And as much as I, I think this is completely crazy, Frances, you look at a lot of other clubs, and it happens to managers more than... And it happens to Jose Mourinho <laughs> more than it seems like anybody else. But when players are out on a manager, there are some bad results that follow. And you could see that there is unrest and things happening. And it's a little bit more difficult to kind of squint your eyes and try to understand or see if... Are they trying to send a message to the board or, or other people? And so... I don't know if I'm willing to jump headfirst into the conspiracy, Frances. Well, I'm not. I'm not either. Um, I honestly think that the players tried the hardest to win the game. They just didn't have it in them in terms of physical and mental strength to do it. Um, I don't doubt, obviously, that um, there are many, many such as, I don't know, Busquets, Piquet, Jordi Alba, that would, necess- would be very happy if the ball changed and someone closer to their philosophy came on. And, you know, someone who can actually reinforce the squad on a year-to-year, window-to-window basis. Um, I'm not doubting that, but I don't think the players with Messi in the squad, um, knowing his time frame, are losing on purpose. I, I just don't think they, in, in this case, they couldn't beat Madrid yesterday, and, and that's that. And the thing is, we've been fairly negative after a bad result in a Clásico, and obviously I understand that morale is down and, you know, we want to burn the whole thing. But if you put it into perspective, though, La Liga is not over. We are not top of the league anymore. But, you know, we weren't really two weeks ago anyway. Um, we don't have to go to the Bernabeu anymore. Uh, we've got some matches ahead that should allow us to pick up consistent wins, hopefully, moving forward. The first one being Real Sociedad on Saturday. And, you know, I Liga, as they say in Spanish, there's a lot of league left. Real Madrid obviously look like they're going to go out in the Champions League soon. So that's um, that's going to make our challenge for La Liga more difficult um, because, you know, it looks if everything goes to plan, Manchester City goes through at home and then Madrid all they have to focus on is La Liga, which is going to make it harder. But then again, the mental blow of not winning a Clásico is going to affect us, but we can't throw the competition away. We've got a lot of matches left and, you know, the players, they are professionals. I think they are led by someone who wants to play the right way and is unfortunately came in through the season, halfway through the season, and hasn't quite figured it out yet. But there were positives. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to recover physically. And I think that's a big ask, um, especially at this time of the season. And when the big matches come, we may struggle there. But then that's not on the players themselves. It's not even on the manager himself, because he hasn't been here that long. That's on the board. because, And he's linking to the, the answer that you just gave. You could have Cucurella in the squad, you could have Alenia in the squad, you could have Carlos Perez in the squad, and all of those people would have done a job at a game against Real Sociedad, um, I don't know, Celta de Vigo, etc. Yeah. That is going to have to be Rakitic and Vidal, etc., playing those, those minutes. When the big matches come, it's the same, the same. I don't want to say same Once Cabrones, like Antic said, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the same people playing every game, and they're not that young anymore. So, so I think that's the... That's the key issue this season and, and moving forward. But I've got, I, I don't doubt that the players want to win. 
you could really go down the rabbit hole of what ifs. And if, let's say, what if, what if Atletico Madrid hangs on and knocks Liverpool out of the Champions League, who are seen to be the favorite to repeat, that makes the Champions League for all the other teams feel maybe a little more galvanized. And Bayern Munich's been awesome. And so, but one match can, in the Champions League can do you in. And so uh, for any team, it, it doesn't matter. And if you're not good enough for one match, and obviously as it's still two legs, seemingly the better team advances, but Atletico Madrid might prove otherwise. And we can go through the what ifs, but just looking at the schedule, yeah, Barcelona, the rest of La Liga, as much as they have lost the head-to-head to Real Madrid and they're a point trailing, they have to go on the road now in four matches to face Sevilla. They're on the road at Celta de Vigo, Villarreal, Valladolid, and Alaves. And then they also have Mallorca. Those are the away matches left. So really, as far as a top half team, it's Sevilla. That's the only top half road match left where Barcelona has been poor. And then at home, they've got Leganes, Athletic Club, Atletico Madrid, Espanyol, and Osasuna. So looking at the home matches, those are the more difficult of the bunch. And they've been good enough and they've been good at home. So Barcelona just have to take care of business on the road against the teams that you should beat if you're going to win the Liga on the road. With exception, again, being April the 5th, that big match against Sevilla. So there's a lot of what ifs. Again, Barcelona are still one injury away from being in trouble. They're still, or or, or actually at this point, they're negative three injuries away from being in trouble, obviously. But you get the point that Barcelona, again, we don't know. Players could get injured or other teams could lose players. I, I would actually ask this, Frances, as I kind of wrap this up about, we talk about strikers and every time that online you especially see that, yes, Braithwaite, sure, he's come in, but he actually does come in off the wing and I think he's been fine in the moments that he's been on the field. But Barcelona, a presence of a number nine, a guy like Luis Suarez to put the, put the ball away, I was thinking this about the major teams and world football. What other team has lost a player with Eden Hazard actually being one of the rare exceptions? Eden Hazard, Real Madrid might have an argument. But other than him, what other major team in world football has lost a player as important as Luis Suarez? I think Barcelona might have the biggest loss of one individual player of any of the major Champions League contenders this year. Yeah, I would also add Dembélé in there because I feel sure. Dembélé would be a regular starter and he would add the, the unbalance that Neymar used to, used to provide uh, when he was with us. Obviously, at a different level. I'm not for one second saying that Mele is better than Neymar, but it's the same style of player. He's someone who can bring bring you something different, who can run at you. But we like I've spoken about Vinicius at the, beginning, at the beginning of the podcast today, and we just don't have that, you know, because you can't expect Arturo Vidal to do that. And at 17 years old, you cannot really see Ansu Fati doing it either. Um, Braithwaite, with all due respect, he wouldn't be at Barca if he wasn't for the boards very poor planning and you know i'm not going to knock the guy because he does try hard and he does add something that nobody else has in this squad which is fitness and stamina and and to be honest hunger and desparpajo you know which is um which is cheekiness bravery freshness um over the last two games it's a very little sample size but we can already see the type of player that he can become but no, I think Suarez is crucial. Obviously, in front of goal, he, he does put away the vast majority of chances he's got. Having said that, I don't think Griezmann's been that bad in front of goal. Obviously, his miss in the Bernabeu, because everything is magnified, it can be remembered. But Griezmann actually has been fairly reliable, has been bagging plenty of goals. Um, he could have scored more, you know, don't get me wrong. Certainly, um, everyone can always do better. But I don't think that the Suarez the missing Suarez is bigger than Dembélé missing. I think it's both of them combined 
that's two starters, and you can argue that Alba's been out for half the season, and the other half he's been below the player he, he needs to be, and he has been. And you can also argue that Alba is a winger on himself. So I would say those three absences, inverted commas absences, have been crucial for Barca this season. But then again, as a board, as someone who manages a club of the, of the magnitude of Barca, you need to be ready for those sort of injuries to happen. Yeah, and I think, Francesca, it's better to end this on a positive note. So we got a question from Douglas. Not much of a question, but how are the women's team doing so well? From their style of play to making the right signings, I would think the board would look at their success and try to apply it to the first team. And Frances, do you want me to handle this one? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, my, my very quick thought is that they're promoting from La Masia and they're trusting the way that we have gone through the ranks at first team level, like Alexia being the captain now with, I think, 300 appearances. Yep. And yeah, you're just doing what Barca has always done and it's working. Yeah, they've been doing all the right things properly. You mentioned La Masia. We've seen Claudia Pina. She's got a few opportunities, as well as the player that's almost been a surprise, the other forward, Andujar, who's still under the age of 21. So they've reinforced a squad. They've been able to rotate. But I think, Douglas, the most important thing is the transfers that have been brought in. And for the feminine, it's a little different from the men's game because when it comes in, in the world of women's football, particularly those affiliated with the major clubs, they're just starting to invest now. When it becomes the likes of Man City, Arsenal, even Man United were behind that curve, that these clubs are, Chelsea is another one of those, these clubs are now be, just beginning to invest in the top players in the, in the women's game, unlike the way that Lyon has been doing it now for an entire decade, basically. And so by hitting on the proper players, and you look at coming in on loan last year, we saw that she was the one who got the goal in the Champions League final in Oshwala, sensational this season. But again, not just Alecky Martins, who was, that's not where it stopped when she was brought in, having won the, the Euro with the Netherlands, by continuing to reinforce every summer, every winter, and hitting on the proper players. That has helped, again, be a big sporting project. And as Frances said, they've also managed to strengthen their squad and add depth to their squad by using La Masi and having some of the more talented players there. So it's all the different things that, all the failings of the men's team. We're having issues with the transfers, not getting enough from La Masia, not rotating enough, not having the backing of the managers. All of those things are working well for the Femini, and that's why they are doing well in the Champions League. They're doing well in the league. They look like... But again, it's almost been a learning curve for them. Again, they have not won in half a decade. They have they t- they won the Primera Femini division. But this season seems to be their year where they put Atletico Madrid in the rear view mirror and they just have to continue to push. And again, it may not be Madrid. It's Madrid CF. But uh, And then Tacon, who is going to be the Madrid team. Barcelona have destroyed both of them. But they are coming. The Real Madrid is starting to put a little more backing, financial backing into their women's team. So expect them to make a bunch of huge, huge signings and try to create a rivalry there. But yeah, so the Femini doing sensational. I wanted to give them their time here at the end of the show in particular because led by, well, and as you mentioned, Alexi and all those other tremendous players on the Femini squad, even at the back in Mappi and Lasado, of course, being a captain, but taking a, a back seat, playing a limited role. Again, there's so many... As we mentioned, Frances, there are so many parallels between the men and the women, but the men have done it in the improper way, and the women, even like Lasada, who's taken a step back as the captain, physically at least, on the field, she still plays a role, still gets the effort, still puts the work in, and this squad just seems to be uh, really fun to watch. So I would recommend all the Kool-Aids who are still with us, check out the Femini team. They have been the best story uh, at FC Barcelona 
this season. So, Frances, I think it's a good place to stop. Yeah, leave it there. That's a good positive. Uh, we cannot really dig deeper and find something better than that. So just let's let's go. All right. So I think Barcelona, just like us, me being sick and Frances, an odd time for him in the morning. So we were able to bounce back with this one. Hopefully Barcelona can do the same. Again, coming up this week is a match against Real Sociedad. But that is at home at the Camp Nou, back where it's most comfortable. So Barcelona should be bouncing back then. And we want to also thank you for tuning in. As always, you can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media, Twitter at the Barcelona Pod, Hilton D13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, closed Facebook group where we got these questions from. Everybody knows it's tbpod.link backslash group. Also, a lot of discussions and deeper dives there as well between these listeners. They're not just people who ask questions. There's a lot of good discussion there as well. Patreon is where the quick take match reviews happen. tbpod.link backslash Patreon. If you want to hear a very funny and a very medicated and sick Dan from last night trying to review the tactics of El Clasico, that's just $3 at the Patreon. We're also on YouTube at the Barcelona Podcast. Check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And the preview for our Clasico, I, again, I have a lot more history, a lot more player rankings, those kind of things. That all happens on the YouTube channel. So I'm going to have some stuff from El Clasico as well coming out this week. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.